Welcome to A Field Guide to Forgiveness. My name is Malcolm Gordon and today we're talking to Phil Halstead. Phil is a counsellor and a theologian who wrote his PhD on forgiveness. Phil teaches at Kerry Baptist College and works at St Augustine's Church in Auckland. So understandably, a lot of his work happens with people who share a Christian worldview. You might hear Phil use some language that isn't familiar if this is not your world. So here's a wee translation guide. When he talks about ministry, it can mean people seeking prayer or intentional conversation, as in people are coming for ministry, or it can mean his vocation and life work, as in this is what my ministry is about. At another point, he talks about how people of faith can sometimes assume that their faith is enough to circumvent the hard work of forgiving, that the hurt that has been done is, quote, under the blood. (laughs) Now, this is a catchphrase that speaks of what Jesus has done, covering all human pain and answering all questions of suffering. Phil seems to agree that Jesus can change things, but not as a magician. I reckon Phil is worth listening to because he's been swimming in these waters for decades. He has a depth from working clinically, and his work has been verified in peer-reviewed psychology journals. And this means that his faith is grounded in the real world, and his hope is informed by real-life stories of transformation. Because Phil is something of an expert in forgiveness with a background in psychology and faith, in today's episode, I ask him to reflect on some of the key insights that have come from our previous conversations. We'll get to benefit from his depth and experience as we continue to learn how to let things go. We join the conversation as Phil explains how he sees the world. All right, thank you, Phil, for joining us today. It's so good to have you here on A Field Guide to Forgiveness and for you making a bit of space to talk with us today. It's a pleasure and privilege to join you. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, look, I'm delighted that you think so. <laughs> look, we always start with our guests, uh, Phil, by inviting them um I guess in an effort towards transparency, inviting people to share a bit about their worldview, the way that they understand life and meaning. Would you like to open that up for us a wee bit? I will try to, certainly. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, good coffee is, is foundational. It's very important. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you can do a lot over a good cup of coffee. Um, yeah. Uh, so whichever think- creed offers the best coffee, you're kind of there. Well, I would consider it, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I do recall the church that gave me the very best coffee I've ever visited. And right. um, so it, it sort of stood out for me. So and, yes, you, is and, and 20 years later, you're still there. Is that the way that story ends? No, no. I've only been there once, but it oh. left a lasting impact. Yes. Mm. It's very so good. coffee's important, but it's not everything. Indeed. Um, <laughs> I guess worldview, uh, God is love. And mm-hmm. God is the great playwright, and I'm a very, very, very small part player in God's play. You know, so right. um, I think my task is to live today for God and mm. trust God with the rest, and yeah. that sort of makes it a bit easier for me. In my better moments, you know, I would be my worldview is trying to know and understand and love God and others, but mm-hmm. I, I guess. Uh, 
a story that springs to mind about my worldview is for about five years, I had the privilege of speaking to the third year med students at the University of Auckland. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an elective class, so there are only about 30 of them. Yep. And the I had two hours to speak on how psychology affects spirituality and healing. Right. And I, I would, it was a fasc fascinating class. They were really engaged. And mm -hmm. I'd introduce myself the first year and I'd say, oh, I'm a evangelical charismatic Christian. And they would laugh because I right. had two names. But the next year I'd add uh, Pentecostal to the mix. Oh, yeah. And the next year I added Orthodox. And, and I had about six descriptors. And yep. they all thought it was a joke. But for yeah. me, each word had a deep meaning, you know, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I said it to get a laugh, but I feel that uh, my worldview is sort of uh, broader than a mm. denomination and, you know, it's about God. <laughs> now, Phil, as you gave that larger and larger description of yourself, was yes. that you? Was that you letting them into more of you or was that over the last year you had come to like become more Pentecostal, more Orthodox, more, you know, whatever else, what the next word was, were you expanding in that process? Or was it a bit of both? Uh, it was a bit of both. Yeah. yeah. I um, have some of those words are more divisive than others in my experience. So <laughs> yeah. perhaps I played it safe the first year though. I wanted to state my colors and, yeah. but, but, I, I have morphed as well as mm -hmm. many of us do with yeah. with my beliefs, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also uh, a father and a husband and a friend, and mm. you know, people mm. are people are really important to me. And yeah. I'm a pastoral theologian, caregiver, mm -hmm. counselor. So yeah. I try to start with people, you know, mm. and um, that that's sort of my response to that question, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Phil. That's really rich. Thank you for that. Now, you have, in the course of your work, you have written a whole doctorate on forgiveness and, and split across the disciplines of psychology and theology. Um, yes. And so that's, A, remarkable. So congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> and you've worked in the in the area as, as both a theologian and a counsellor. Um, yes. Quick question, why? Yeah. <laughs> um, Quick question: Can it be a slightly longer response? You may, you you may have a slightly longer um, Thank you. response. Um, well, one truthful response is it's sort of been a life-defining issue for me. You know, yeah. um, so many people who get into psychotherapy or counselling often need help, and my hand is right up there. So. My beautiful, God-loving, faithful, generous father. Mm -hmm. Now, I can assure you 30 years ago, I didn't use any of those words to describe <laughs> my father. Yeah. Um, he was a fine man on so yeah. many levels, but he really struggled with a undiagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder. Wow. And for people who know what that means, the reach and devastation of such a condition is mind-boggling you know to say the least and i really suffered under that yeah and i ignored it i became a christian when i was 20 mm -hmm. and i got married when i was 30 mm -hmm. and when i was about 32 this sort of happened unwittingly but being held in a loving 
relationship where it became safe to put my barriers down, mm. um, my world spun out of control. And wow. I then um, sought out therapy for myself. Mm. I started studying pastoral theology and then later mm. psychology and counseling. And I was involved in an inner healing course that took 30 weeks. And wow. I did that nine years in a row. <laughs> so 270 weeks. And through all of that, I started to address the unprocessed wounds within me. And wow. so it was primarily or initially at least a selfish endeavor in one sense. I say that, you know, facetiously in that. Yep. It felt like I just had to um, address my stuff. But in the process of that, towards the end of those nine years in, in the healing ministry, for example, hmm. uh, we, we would take, four of us would take a little uh, inner healing uh, program around different churches around the country. And right. people would talk about uh, what Jesus did on the cross, father wounds, mother wounds, and I would hmm. speak on forgiveness. Mm. And I would guesstimate that 85 to 95% of the people at the end of the talk on forgiveness would come forward for ministry. Mm. And I was sort of partially mortified because the looks of expectancy they had to mm. have everything fixed in the next 30 seconds. <laughs> and, and I knew I had nothing, you know, yep. so... Well, quite... this is the guy who's who, this is the guy who's part way through two hundred and seventy weeks of of yeah, group, yeah. group therapy, um, talking to people who want it to be kind of magicked away in the next few moments. So I can appreciate yes. your reality <laughs> check. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, that was a cause of struggle, and and I realised that there was very little to hand over to churches because I think we hightailed it out of there, leaving mm. carnage sometimes. <laughs> you I, opened I, a can of worms that... and then just tipped it on the floor and walked away. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's my style, yeah. <laughs> um, we we never heard, I never heard a bad word, but I never mm. heard a good word, you know, when huh. we flew out. Yeah. And, but through all of this journey, I started to see time and time again that all manner of human presenting struggles and needs had mm. very similar root issues, specifically mum and dad mm. and forgiveness. Now... Wow. Obviously, a truckload of presenting issues don't have those issues at a root, but a yep. phenomenal amount of human struggle to me, my way of thinking stems from these core issues, you know, yep. they're, they're foundational. So I felt uh, of God, actually, that God mm. asked me, invited me, and I wanted to develop a forgiveness course mm. that could help adults process their uh, deep wounds with their parents mm. so whilst i'm interested in all kinds of forgiveness yeah and i can unpack any of that if you want yep. um i was particularly interested in the very very deep issues you know the mm. big ones where yep. people seemingly could not shift and also i found that talking to many people in the church um Forgiveness was quite a conundrum, you know, because, I mean, how do you forgive? You're, you're telling say, me, mate. Yeah, they'd say, I don't know, I don't know. And I just met this time and time again. So mm. all of that sort of sent me on this journey. And since I finished the PhD, which was 
2008-ish. Mm. You know, I've lectured on it, talked on it, in clinical settings, done innumerable work with mm. uh, individuals and families, and just seen that it can make a phenomenal difference uh, yeah. in people's lives. Yeah, but it's also a good thing. It's you know we don't just forgive for the benefits, though there are mm. many benefits. Mm. It's uh, I think uh, on God's heart, you know, to pursue it. And sort of out of all of those reasons, I got involved. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. funny. I mean, I, I too was in that camp of, of knowing that forgiveness was a good idea, but having no idea how to, uh, how to go about it. And, and your response was to, you know, do a doctorate and my response was to do a podcast. So, um, I guess in terms of efficiency, I won because I'm finished yeah. in you know, seven or eight weeks later, although, um, you know, still a work in progress. I'm not well, I think to... <laughs> yours is also the smart decision. <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. On both accounts, yeah. I've got to take my hat off to the 270 weeks of, of um, kind of group therapy that you put yourself into as well, which is, you know, yeah, um, yeah that shows a commitment to the cause really well. Um, wow. I'm, I'm fascinated by what you were talking about in terms of the parent forgiveness thing being at the root. Yes. Um, did you find that people were even able to articulate that or was that something that was often buried and that they just had this sort of nameless chip on their shoulder or resentment that kind of yeah. like sort of I, loomed up out of nowhere and, and they weren't even able to trace it back to an event, a person, um, that kind of yes. thing? Like, Great, great question. Uh, I, I guess it's sometimes safer to talk about self. So <laughs> um, yep. when I was in my 20s, I had just one friend about twice a year ask me how's it going with your father hmm. and i always shut him down and i thought what a stupid question i hmm. i saw that there was no issue right. and when i i remember my very first conversation with my the psychotherapist who i went to for just under three years hmm. and he basically asked why am i here and all i could describe was that there's a shadow deep in my life in hmm. myself and I don't know what it is. Huh. And so uh, that would be an example of me not knowing at all that I had a father issue. Right. And and that's certainly my experience. You know, so I've been in situations where I've supervised counsellors in their training. Yep. And in some institutions, they have, you know, these are year one issues and yep. if you get a year three issue, you don't meet with a year one counsellor. But five seconds into the meeting, someone might say, well, I've come for this reason, but actually it's a deeper issue of X, Y, or Z. Yep. So, yep. you know, it, it merges, it comes to the forefront. And yep. if people have the opportunity to tell their stories, mm. um, things emerge. Mm. Huh. How interesting. Um Look, can I pick up on that idea of telling stories? Um, I know yes. I, sent you, I sent you a list of questions. I'm just going to jump around all over them um, sure. because you said something about telling stories. Um, our friend Jeff from a few weeks ago, he talked about the importance of feeling the feels that you had um, around an experience yes. of hurt. And he had the opportunity to get um, heard and his experience by some friends who he, were willing to listen to him. Um, then by his wife who was who was actually leaving the relationship and 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 then he went into the woods and and kind of 
told his story to the trees and told and said, uh, "This is the last time I'm going to say I'm going to say these things and feel these things." Um, yes. How important is it in your experience that we're able to um, get the story out of us? Um, and just the conversation I had yesterday or the day before with Daryl, who's on the last episode, we were wondering even if it. So often we want to tell it to the person who hurt us, and yes. so often that isn't even realistic or yes. fruitful. Yes. But is is the important thing telling it somewhere? Well, <laughs> great question. Gosh, um, would you like to sit down? <laughs> this could take a while. <laughs> yeah, um, I already am. Go for it. I'm ready they, for it. I, I think it's very, very important uh, in almost every case. Not every case, but almost every case. And uh, perhaps a circuitous way to explain it. If you think of the Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant who yep. was forgiven a great deal. Yes. Um, and then walks and then, out and sees his mate who owes him like 10 bucks and demands that he gets paid back right now. And because he hasn't got it on yes. him, he throws him in prison. Yeah. That, yes. Yeah. 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 That appeals to some of us, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> and and um, so when the king heard this, the king had the unmerciful, forgiven servant mm -hmm. thrown into jail. Yeah. And and Jesus finishes the parable, my my uh, summary. If you don't forgive from the heart, you're snookered. And oh, yeah. the heart, the heart in biblical days meant cognition and affect or emotion. You know, it wasn't just emotions. So it was a blend of and, what we would call mind and heart. Yeah, yeah, or yep. mind, soul, heart, mm, these sort yep. of words. Yeah. And so uh, the forgiveness model I created um, starts with uh, people telling their stories and learning to identify and own and then process what actually happened. So mm. there's events, a uh, series of events, there's the effects of the events, and there's the attitude behind the perpetrator's wrong. And where I'm going with this is, I'm landing it here. Statistically speaking, uh, in my research and others, um, we have found that if you forgive someone from your head only, statistically mm -hmm. speaking, in two weeks after their forgiveness, you will have lost 50% of your forgiveness, statistically speaking. But if statistically speaking, you forgive with emotions and heart uh, and mind yep. and sort of soul, yep. two months after your forgiveness, your forgiveness, statistically speaking, is still increasing. It's still growing. Oh, so it's growing. It's growing two months after the event. So and, if I forgive as a good idea, yeah. as in this is the right thing to do, but my heart's not in it and I don't necessarily want to at that effective level but i know it's the yes. right thing to do because yes. maybe i'm a christian or maybe i just want to be a, you know a person who isn't hung up on these things forever and never amen yes. um that isn't actually enough to make that change happen well, it, it well, will if, leak it will leak and if we measured it you would have lost 50 percent on average within two weeks right um, right I'm not saying there's not a place for, uh, you know, volitional forgiveness, but mm -hmm. I am saying for big issues, it's really, really important to engage with um, mind, soul, emotion, 
And a primary way of doing that is telling your story mm. and even seeing in other people's responses to your story, um, you know, a reflection of what you're saying. Because so many people don't register that, you know, they've been hurt, particularly in Christendom, in my experience. Right. Uh, there's denial and all kinds of things or, or it's all under the carpet, all under the blood, you know. Right, um, right etc. So it's really important to do that. Um, there'd be two caveats that I'd put there. Uh, one yep. is that um, if someone was telling the exact same story 10 years later, right? Um, uh, there's a slight question mark for me there because, you know, at the top, I described my father warmly. Mm-hmm. And but 25 years ago, I was using completely different language. Yep. But that warm language is completely true, in my opinion, for yep. how I feel towards him. And that's the fruit of the journey I have been on, I think. But if yeah. you had made yourself say that 25 years ago, that would yes. have been an imposition on your emotional state, wouldn't it? It wouldn't have been a response to how you felt, how exactly. you understood him at a deep level. It would have been, this is what I should say, <laughs> a lie. Yes. It, might, it yes. might have been right, quote marks, right, yes. but it wasn't true. Um, yes. Now, I, what I, I really appreciate what you're saying here is that we have to take our emotions um, seriously, and the way we do that is we tell the story. Um, yes. And we, cannot, yep. we, we can't rush our emotions. We can't, no. we can't coerce them into agreeing with our thoughts. We, no. In a way, we have to go at the pace that our that our hearts are going at in terms of yes the, the the second caveat that i wanted to put there is my old mate derek prince um oh, you know wow. he yeah he's an so old friend. He's for those an of you old who friend. don't know for those of you who don't know derek prince uh, would we say it would we say leave it that way phil would I, I wouldn't actually i wouldn't no? okay um, all right yeah so like he one of my favorite quotes from Derek Prince is you need to call a spade a spade and not an agricultural instrument, you know. Okay. So Oh yeah, um, I'd go there with him. Yeah, there's so he says fact, then faith, then feeling. And okay. um I just find that quite interesting because in my work in the therapeutic world, um some of us are so prone to be a hundred percent led by feelings uh-huh. that sometimes that's problematic. But yep. by and large, I, I agree with the position that um, we can't force emotions. Mm. Uh, we can work through a process, and but we need to be truthful. Mm. Yeah. And you're also saying, I appreciate what you're saying about if we're hearing ten years later somebody telling the same story, there's a sense yeah. in which. Um, somehow or other the process of being heard has become something of a cul-de-sac and that they have actually not gone through anything but they've got to something and they've stayed there and that that story that that version of the story has calcified um and they haven't had any evolution in their understanding of it or their uh, appreciation of of what was happening for the other person or a wider you know grasp of the narrative and somehow that process has become just a point of arrival and stagnation yes so i mean in other modalities that could be described for example as complicated grief you know so uh, instead of going through a grieving process we get stuck but Mm -hmm. but the the goal is to 
engage with the wound and what it means at this deep heart level. And if that's through storytelling, through listening, that's all okay as well. So that leads me to my next question. Um, yes. When we ask people who are hurt or when we are hurt and we're asking them to, to feel the feelings and um, there can be a challenge to leaving a story behind, can't there? Because our identity can be bound up in who we have become in, in response to that hurt that was done to us. We can become yes. a victim of something and that can shape the way that we tell our story and the way that we understand ourselves. And consequently, well, I'm going to ask you as the theologian counselor in this conversation, can it be hard for some people to lay down those stories because they're scared of who they, who I, who am I if I haven't got this story that, that is how I lead as a human into the world. That's my step forward. Um, Kim, who spoke a few weeks ago, talked about the difficulty of letting go of the story of being the abused girl. And that being yeah. kind of her excuse in a way that she shielded herself with from expectations. What's yes. your perspective on that as a, a, a yeah. forgiveness genius? <laughs> um, you've clearly got someone else online because you can't be talking to me <laughs> with that description. Oh, hush, um, go on. Yeah. Firstly, um, of course, it's a very tragic story. And mm. uh, so I don't know, Kim, and I think, it's what happened is wrong. It's mm. unfair. Mm. And, you know, it's really important to be able to connect with people and have ideally relationship. And one of my favorite pastoral sayings is just to stare at the carpet together, you know, so huh. yeah. uh, we just presence and, and carrying on like that. You talked so, at one point about ex uh, it's not expertise that heals suffering. It's compassion. I read that in something yes. that you wrote. That, that it's just about being in that awful place together uh, rather yes. than going, oh, I know exactly what you need, um, yes. which can be the yeah. temptation, can't it? Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's sort of character, then empathy. And if those things happen, then skill set perhaps. Mm. But uh, for Kim or someone, uh, it's, it's incredibly hard when identity has been uh wrapped up with hurt mm. and you know one more aside if i may um i've worked i've spoken with people in the deaf community and um literally they have said to me uh this is only a handful of people um we don't want to regain our hearing because that would remove us from our connections in the deaf community our friends our loved ones etc and i really respect that you know mm, so mm. Uh, who am i to say you know yep. what someone should do yeah firstly secondly my prayers are pretty uh weak <laughs> you know and uh so you know they have a valid point but if your identity is tied into your hurt um my a response would be after connection um you know, do we have to do some almost body work first? So there's something called polyvagal theory or a post-traumatic traumatic stress syndrome. You yeah. know, that if you don't dial down the adrenaline, the cortisol and all of these things, mm -hmm. um, talking forgiveness, processing stuff is very hard, you know. So mm -hmm. maybe there's the body response first. But then from there... Uh, I would suggest that people go through a, a, 
proven process of forgiveness Mm -hmm. and just experience the journey, you know, experience connection, um, praying prayers, doing work, writing Mm. things out, receiving from God, because Mm. at the end of that journey, it's conceivable that the identity issue will have wobbled, maybe Mm. even disappeared, but it probably could be too strong a word, but very frequently people would look at these issues differently. Mm. But after that, then I think there's some specific like counseling Mm -hmm. work that could be done. And for me, I put this in the forgiveness process, though it's not forgiveness per se. For example, in narrative therapy counseling, you can develop a new story that Mm -hmm. can leave behind, um, you know, a a narrative that wasn't helpful. Or you can, Kim could write down a whole lot of negative talk and Mm -hmm. try to find scriptures even that Mm, would mm. speak to that so it's sort of a journey and Mm. but but i would say also that it's conceivable that this story will always be with some people you know some of their victims but Mm. it will take on a different uh shine Mm. and uh it is also part of who we are it can please hear this correctly you know like my great struggles with my father have actually turned out to be the springboard for my vocation and ministry you know so um Mm. it's and also to forsake a big part of your life i'm not sure that that's entirely congruent because Mm. it has affected us but Mm. there's a balance and everyone's different Phil, I'm reminded of um, a few years ago, there was that spate of, um, and probably is still ongoing in in some parts of the world, where um, people were pushing over statues um, of people that, you know, um, previously had been lauded as as leading citizens and benefactors and philanthropists. And then, you know, in in today's culture, we saw them and recognized them as, you know, um, contributors to the slave trade or um, white supremacists or et cetera, et cetera. And I confess, because of my bit of a background in history, I was kind of reluctant about this, let's pull these statues down and 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 get rid of them movement. I was more of the pull them down by all means, um, bury them in the ground if you need to, but put a, put a, a, a glass top on top of it and a plaque next to it saying this statue stood here for 200 years while this cult our culture lauded the behavior of this person and then we realized that we were lauding the wrong thing and now we leave it here as a reminder to ourselves of the way that we have you know um grown and changed and and our story has evolved and this is still part of our of our story but we remember it differently now and i wonder if that's the sort of thing that you're sort of saying it's 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 actually not safe to chop pieces out of our story and act as if they didn't happen because they did and they leave yes. a mark and they they continue to have echoes in our present um existence and the way of being that we have here and now and without them we'll understand less of ourselves and and who and how we are in this present time Yes. Um, as you were saying that, my anxiety was increasing because I wasn't oh. sure how you were going to land that. <laughs> um, Are you still anxious, Phil? Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I, I do agree. 
and yeah. you know for me like i encourage people uh the last phase of the forgiveness model that i've created is targeting uh, further ways to progress your forgiveness mm. and so literally here in auckland some people would go to a beach once mm. a month and walk along it remembering their forgiveness journey you know but as yeah. sort of a remembering and mm -hmm. You know, I know we can twist doctrine and verses all over the place, but God does talk a lot about remembering. And mm, mm. Um, so that that's one aspect. Um, of course, there's the forgive and forget question as well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So, yes, I agree. Um, we are not able to just cut something out, I mm. think. You know, it is a healing process. We trust God, the great playwright in it, to play mm. God's part. And what happens, happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's part, part of the course, Phil, um, that you bring God into the conversation a lot. Um, some yes. of our listeners haven't got a God in their worldview that they can yes. draw on. Uh, one of our guests, Murray, um, he also spoke about forgiveness being something that was that was too difficult for us and that's something that we needed, needed divine help with and that God... Yes. God's kind of the the, uh, the resident expert that we could call on um, to to draw on. What do people um, do if they haven't got a God uh, figure in their worldview? Is it a, is it an indication that forgiveness is something that we need a community around us? That there's that this is a too big a task for an individual to tackle by themselves? It might be unfair for me to ask you what does somebody who doesn't share your belief do in order to reach forgiveness? But I'm going to ask you um, that anyway. <laughs> good good on you go you um in in the world of psychology there's fantastic mm -hmm. writing about forgiveness mm -hmm. and wonderful forgiveness processes and mm -hmm. unquestionably people find remarkable breakthroughs and healing mm -hmm. uh in a uh counseling modalities that mm -hmm. overtly do not mention god at all right yeah so point, point one yep. uh, point two I think God's in all kinds of places, even in modalities that don't acknowledge God. But so I'm maybe biased. point one and point two are blurred. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, no, I I'm a great advocate actually of the psychological uh, take on forgiveness. Yeah. And uh, yes, I think life should be done in community, not yep. in isolation. Yep. So by working through. Uh, psychological slash counseling processes yep. uh, doing that with other people remarkable and long-lasting healing mm. can be found i yep. think it's uh easier with god you know because yep. there is there's an additional help mm. who and god's into this process big time i think god initiated it mm -hmm. uh, but um yeah i i yep. love the saying that all roads lead to rome but yeah. all roads lead away from Rome, you know. So right. <laughs> I'm 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 not scared of exploring a lot of yeah. things. And mm. um, yeah. So it seems to me like you're saying um, forgiveness doesn't require the conception of God and somebody's worldview. That in your worldview, you can imagine a God who is working anonymously in processes where God isn't explicitly named uh, because God yes. is committed to this process. So you've yes. kind of got yourself a bob each way and that uh, you can mm -hmm. you can appreciate God being present when 
uh, God is invoked and also God, because God cares about forgiveness and isn't just in it for the glory, um, pun intended, uh, that God is present working for restoration, you know, even when there isn't a, 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 an explicit um, intentionality about that or an invocation, uh, an invitation for God to be part of that process. I like that. Um, I like that too. That was very well put. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I heard it from you and I just said it back. So um, <laughs> we can both feel good about ourselves. Okay. Um, listen, um, you mentioned forgiving and forgetting. Um, yes. Is, and, and some of our guests have talked about it being uh, a real sharp line between those things, that forgiveness isn't, it mustn't become forgetting. Um, yes. Tana was one of our guests who talked about that, who had been uh, a survivor of child abuse and and found herself, you know, perilously close um, to her own daughter becoming in that, that same category. Um, Murray talked about forgiving and forgetting, there needing to be nuance there. How do you understand this, this, this cliche? And obviously not yes. all cliches are bad. Sometimes they become yes. cliches because we repeat them so often and they are good. What yes. is good about forgiving and forgetting and what is not so good? Yeah. When I give public addresses, sometimes uh, I... Uh, to break things up a little bit, ask the audience to tell me their forgiveness cliches. And yep. always the first one is forgive and forget. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but I'm thinking of a case, a distressing example where a father violated his daughter mm -hmm. and the daughter forgot, in inverted commas, to right. survive. Mm -hmm. um, but if the now adult daughter were to leave her own children in the care of her unchanged father, yeah. she may inadvertently be subjecting them to grave danger. Yeah. But, you know, so forgetting can be a survival mechanism, but this is, you know, it serves a purpose. But it's sort of a dangerous. placeholder and a placeholder rather than a, an ending point. Yes. But the problem with survival mechanisms is once they've passed their use by date, they're often invisible parts of our internal structures and mm. they come back and bite us big time. So yep. um, there's an understandable pull and propensity for people to forgive and forget, you know, because yep. particularly if it's parents, because we might, our very survival might depend on them and they're mm. the people we love, they're the big people in our lives. But yep. my goodness, we can be manipulated down that path as well. Mm. And, you know, there is nowhere in the Bible that says you must forget an offense. Um, now, God chooses not to remember, which is very different than a human forgetting. So yep. I am concerned when people say um, you need to forgive and forget. Mm. However, mm. <laughs> a balance, you know, so like, in the Holocaust, uh, mm. Holocaust mm. Uh, tragedies, uh, there's this been a saying for many decades, you know, never forget. Mm. But if mm. you never forget and promote never forget for a very long time, it all too easily becomes never forgive. <laughs> and, mm. and it sort of becomes uh, an obsessive memory which mandates revenge. Now that's extremes. My mm. my wife is a native-born German. You know, she came to yep. New Zealand when she was twenty-seven. So, um, this is a personal yeah, issue yeah. as well. But um, what is needed, I think, is to recall our injuries appropriately in the context of forgiveness mm. and not the context of violence. You know, mm. uh, it is important to 
expose the truth and to yep. pursue justice. Um, but forgetting can be very dangerous. It also can give forgiveness a very bad rap in hmm. society. Yeah. And yep. so I agree with your person who yeah. says, talks about forgetting. I wonder if what we could say and picking up on what you just summarized there, whether forgive yeah. and forego is, is a better catchphrase for what we're foregoing is that revenge violence in terms of response. And that was what Murray was arguing for. He was like, what we need to forget is the hope for revenge. Um, we need to, we need to lay that down and remember our forgiveness in the story, which is, I think what you've just said, we remember it in the context of our forgiveness. So yes. our forgiveness writes a new chapter of this story, doesn't it? Because yes. something was done to us and then we do something in response and forgiving it so that as we remember that story, we call to mind, yes, it was done to me. And then this is what I did. And, 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 and that shifts the way that I pull that story back to myself, not as a, as a, a weapon to hold, um, but as a, you know, an invitation to remember, ah, that's right. I laid that weapon down um, and I'm not going to pick it up every time I, I tell that story. Um, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yes. I, I think there are multiple things going on here, you know, mm. and because, you know, many of us have many issues with many different people. <laughs> and and each, <laughs> Speak each, for yourself, Phil. Uh, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, each journey, each each relationship is on a different point on a trajectory. So, yep. for someone, it is safe to to uh, let it go. And you know, forego is a, a a biblical definition of forgiveness. You know, we mm, forego mm. the moral injury. That's what yep. we forgive, and we forego um, expecting something back from those people. But but then we still might need boundaries and we yeah. still, you know, forgiveness can be from one side, yeah. but reconciliation, for example, needs two. Trust huh. needs to be earned. It can't yeah. be just freely given. And so these things all weave into this equation, I think. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to stop there and, and repeat back what I think you just said. So forgiveness can be given by one, but reconciliation requires two. And trust yes. can't just be given, it has to be earned. So forgiveness doesn't, we've, and people have said this in the in past episodes, but forgiveness doesn't immediately um, presume reconciliation and it doesn't require us to uh, revert back to a previous level of trust before an offense. This is what, what I'm hearing you that's, say? That's what I'm saying, yes. yes. Cool. And Jesus doesn't tell us mm -hmm. that we have to trust people who have hurt us. And Jesus doesn't tell us that we on our, on our own side of it can form a reconciliation with somebody without them being a partner to it. Yeah. So, I mean, um, so I'm learning and through our conversation that some of the audience will not know the biblical stories. So mm. I'll try to give some stories from, uh, inside the Bible and outside, yeah, cool, inside thanks. the Bible, for example, um, Saul had been trying to kill David. Mm -hmm. uh, Saul confessed his sin and asked David to come back and live with him in the palace. Mm -hmm. David ostensibly forgave Saul, but he, there's no way he was going back to the palace. Yeah, so, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, so Jacob meets Esau and mm -hmm. uh, they say all is well but Jacob then still goes a different way, you know? Right, so right. Um, my favorite definition of forgiveness is 
Uh, forgiveness is the boundary between exclusion and embrace. It's not the same as embrace. This is from a guy, Miroslav Volk. Yeah, yeah. And yep. so, um, you know, how can you be reconciled with either someone you don't know or someone who's dead or someone who's yep. pathological, etc.? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it's very dangerous. I know of a case where someone was, it was in, reported in New Zealand's media last year, yeah. Uh, someone left her husband because of domestic violence. She yeah. was encouraged to go back to her husband and forgive him. Yeah. And the following week, he tragically killed her. So reconciliation, yeah. you know, yeah. what what do people mean by reconciliation? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, is it best buddies uh, as if it never happened? You know, sometimes remarkable things happen, mm. but... Often they don't. Often they don't. Yeah. And that's the point. So what you're saying is forgiveness is to stand on the boundary line between writing them off and letting them back in. And if they meet you there at that halfway point, then there's a possibility of reconciliation. But it's not to go all the way and let them back in, you know, put the firewall down and and, and let them all the way back in without seeing any change or um, any, I guess the biblical word would be repentance transformation you know is that what you're saying we stand on that boundary line and wait um not necessarily (laughs) Um, okay nuance me nuance yes um so forgiveness is a boundary so it Mm. creates the possibility and you can go a long way beyond that you know towards the person if it's safe if it's appropriate but you're not obliged to in my opinion I do think, you know, a theological goal of forgiveness ultimately could be reconciliation. Yeah. But we live in a fallen world. Mm. Um, there are all kinds of things that have to speak to that. Um, mm. But there are some classic examples of where forgiveness from one does work a miracle in mm. another person yep. um, as, as well. But if you were to reconcile, to embrace, to stay with that definition, you then have to let go because otherwise you suffocate. <laughs> and right. so you, you don't hold them in the embrace. You know, you right, let right. them go and yep. what happens, happens. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Mm. Gosh. Deep waters, man. This is... Whew. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm going to talk about uh, our guest from a couple of weeks ago, Tana, who I mentioned earlier, had had suffered abuse as, a, as an infant, um, and she found that pattern repeating in her own life as she was a, a young teenage mum and uh, had an abusive partner. And um, her way out of that was coming to an appreciation of her worth and yes. beginning to affirm that. Uh, and she did that from everything from her diet to her exercise to her practice of, of meditation and, and cultivating a spirituality and a connectedness with her um with te ao Māori and with um the natural world can you talk for a while uh, um about the place of of ourselves in this drama the the need to attend you spoke before about it being selfish for you to do 270 weeks of this course you know like and you said it tongue-in-cheek i get yeah. that but there's a sense in which if we don't do that mahi, if we don't do that work, we are working from broken foundations for the rest of our lives and we are yes. 
in danger of hurting ourselves and others. Yes. Talk to me about the self in this. Yeah, gosh, uh, big question. You know, yeah. so in uh, Tainer's uh, story, I think there's an awfully lot going, a, a lot going on. You know, all mm. of which is significant and sacred. And you know, so there's possibly attachment issues, for example. You know, so that's very important to consider early on. Um, there's possibly uh, the old AA adage um, of you, we're only as sick as our secrets. You know, there's mm. possibly the need for telling the truth, for confession. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I once read a study that in a Catholic area where people confess their sins to priests, to priests, there was a 90% less need for therapy because Carl Jung, for example, says the heart of psychotherapy is confession. So hmm. it's important to tell our truths. And also, if you're in London heading towards New York and you're one degree out, you'll end up in South America, which is to say um, yeah. an incremental change uh, like Tana did many wonderful changes mm. over time makes yep. a continent of difference. You mm. know? But awareness is hugely significant. Mm. And that which is not known, you can't have relationship with. So right. self-understanding is really important as we try to forgive. And like in my worldview, we'd be building identity in Christ, you know, would yep. be yep. very helpful. But uh, my goodness, it's wonderful to do it um, with whānau, you know, in yep. relationships with people. Of course, that's a big part of it. Mm. And um, I think it's also important to remember in a story like this that uh, what happened to you, and even, you know, it's, it's not your fault. Mm. <laughs> mm. um, yep. And it's important to keep that. That famous, that famous scene from Goodwill Hunting, eh? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen it, <laughs> yes. but it's it, it, it undoes us, doesn't it? This, yes. this re the relentlessness and how he bats away that storyline again and again. And yet Robin Williams' character just comes back with this simple affirmation, you know, yes. over and over and wears the defense down until yes. he's, he's that little boy again, that that horrible thing was done to, and he goes right back to the start almost just to, so as to rewrite that story. You didn't deserve this. It wasn't yes. a mistake that you made. It wasn't something um, broken about you that caused it to happen. Um, and this is what you're saying is, is about is this the narrative that we tell ourselves, the narrative that we believe um, goes a long way to determining how we see ourselves in the world, how we function. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a, a psychologist from yesteryear who says there's only two ways to build self-esteem. Mm. Uh, this is uh, from a external Christian mm -hmm. position. Uh, mm. One is to be held in loving relationships, you know, to love and be loved. Mm -hmm. And the other is achievement through sustained effort, you know, right. and these things build self-esteem, which is wonderful. And mm -hmm. we're all on a journey. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, forgiveness, whilst clearly everyone will see I'm biased, um, it's not the panacea to all ills. And right. But there's often a forgiveness component to people's journeys and healing mm. needs. It's mm. often the biggest component, but mm. it's really the only component, you know. So mm. it's right, a decision right. also when you engage with the forgiveness part of the work. Yeah.
Yeah. It's interesting because when Tana told us her story, forgiveness was a piece of it. You know, she was, she was yeah. talking about it almost, um, I said at the time as, as an overhaul of her, the, the health of her life and that she was carrying this bitterness, um, and this really, um, distorted picture of herself. And as she turned toward health, um, in a, in a holistic sense, then, you know, to, to renovate this self-understanding was actually part of that task along with going to yoga and, um, you know, um, you know, drinking um, coffee, that's, <laughs> drinking coffee and changing the, her diet and all sorts of things, you know, so it's, yes. it's interesting that you note that forgiveness is not very often the only thing, but it's almost always a part of, of, of what's happening for people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's a reminder, isn't it, that, um, when we've been hurt, we think the answer is that person realizing how they hurt us and showing up on our doorstep and promise and offering to make it right, which I'm yeah. not sure if it's a storyline, if it's ever happened with anyone ever. <laughs> and That's yet right. so, so many of us are pinning our hopes on that storyline. And what forgiveness right. does is it goes, buddy, that's not going to happen. Um, you're going to have to let this go all by yourself. You know, like this, yes. that person who hurt you cannot be the person who can heal you. That's for yes. me on this journey has been one of the big insights. I can't ask the person who wounded me to turn yes. up and make me well again. Um, right. They're probably the, the last person on the planet who can do that. Um, yes. I'm going to have to turn some in some other direction. Yes. Could I tell you a two minute story to that point? You have my permission. Thank you for your permission. <laughs> a, a man came on one of the forgiveness courses that I was running. He was mm -hmm. um, 40 and he had three children and his father had not met him, seen him for over a decade, had not met any of the son's three children. Wow. The father had raised the son who came onto the course with the language, you are a worm because oh. you, um, and you know, you're, you're rebellious against God. Right. So the man came on the course and by about week six, it's an eight week course. Hmm. Uh, he said, I think I've forgiven my father. And hmm. we were all skeptical, probably the most of all myself. You know, I thought right. this is too big an issue. You can't process yeah. it in six weeks. At week seven, he came with a smile that wrapped around his ears. Right. And we said, what has happened? And he said, yeah. Well, I told you last week I'd worked through my forgiveness issue. Yeah. Um, I went home one night after work. There was my father. He had mowed my lawns and he was working in my garden. When I hopped out of the car, he came up to me and embraced me. He had never embraced his son. And he said to his son, I love you the first time ever. And... Um, he, the father did not even know that the son was working through forgiveness issues. So sometimes when we do our work, miracles literally happen, you know. Right. So and this, this, this wasn't a result of the son having let the dad know. This just yeah. happened. It happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's absolutely remarkable. And uh, on another level of that magnitude, I have worked with a handful of women who uh, over the years with forgiveness issues who came to work through their father issues with me yeah. and down the track, they've said to me, you'll never guess what's happened, Phil. And I said, what? I've had my first period for two years and one said for a decade. Wow. And I have uh, christened and commissioned their children 
Um, and they have said that this child is a fruit of huh. forgiveness. You know, and what a beautiful thing to think that periods can start when forgiveness takes place, you know. So are you sort of saying at some deep level, Phil, that the body, because of this this root of unforgiveness towards the father, there was some kind of deep embodied connection that said, I'm not going to bring another child into this world if this is what fathers are like. Is that is that kind of the subterranean that, story? That's part of the subterranean story, and that's what I'd always hoped for. I must admit now, and this is equally significant, though yep. medically speaking, some of these women had been um, persecuted because of their weight. So they had uh, lost so much weight when the body fat gets under a certain yep, percent, yep, percentage, I understand yep. you can't have your period. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but forgiveness enabled them to release and actually eat a bit more, which potentially was the contributing yeah, yeah. factor to period. But either yeah. way, that's still a miracle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it, it means that they've, they'd obviously forgiven themselves to the point where they could actually embrace who they were and how they were in the yes. world and not, and yes. not um, let other people make those yeah. um, judgments for them. Yeah. Gosh. But, um, uh, one more thing, just in that vein, clinically speaking, I work with some women who have hit menopause and it hits them and it really is acutely painful mm. they have chosen not to have children because of what they experienced with their mothers or their fathers right. and then when menopause hits in the finality of their decision hits them uh, and right. that's when their forgiveness journey really starts wow oh my gosh mm -hmm. this is heavy stuff listen phil um this is not on the list so prepare yourself buddy um <laughs> uh all the people you've been talking to it seems to me you're largely working within the church. So the parents that you're talking about are largely yeah. people with a Christian faith. Am I right? Um, so you've got on many no, not occasions, necessarily. not necessarily, many, sometimes definitely, but uh, oftentimes not at all. Yeah. Okay. So let's go with the sometimes definitely category that yes. there are some parents who are Christians who, and there are deep wounds in their kids and you're working with these kids to, to help yes. them forgive their parents. How many times are you encountering unhelpful ways of believing in God or unhelpful ways of employing a belief in God or the way that that belief is wielded by people and becomes weaponized towards children, a standard that they have failed to meet or an expectation that they have to strive for? How much yes. are you seeing faith as a weapon in these situations? A great deal, a, mm. a high percentage of the times. And I guess three examples that spring to mind. Uh, one is honor your father and mother, you know, the, oh, this, yeah. uh, and that's sometimes wielded as a weapon. Yep. Um, I personally see other sides to that, including the best way to honor a parent is to live a righteous, good, loving life, mm. regardless of what the parent says. So, you know, mm. that's one side. Um, yep. There's all kinds of pressure coming on people to do this or that from parents, church, etc. cetera. Um, yep. But the psychological explanation for forgiveness, this is a tad technical. <laughs> um, Try me. <laughs> there's, there's a theory called object relations theory, and it basically says that uh, between you, Malcolm, and myself, there are four other beings. So there's me, my understanding of me, and yep. my understanding of you. And coming okay. back from you to me, there's you, 
your understanding of yourself, yep. your understanding of me. Forgiveness yep. changes that psychological component of how I perceive myself and others. Yep. So it changes the lens, the worldview. And that is what opens up when we do our forgiveness work, engaging yep. with the heart. And that changes how people view God. Um, right. I've created a psychometric instrument that's mm. published um around people's relationship with God and their behavior, effect, and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And if we don't talk about that, but you do your forgiveness work, it's now yeah. scientifically proven that forgiveness will change your relationship with God. It's got nothing mm -hmm. to do with God. It's all what's happening in between your ears. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, that's, uh, that's heady stuff, but I appreciate you bringing it down to planet Earth for people like me. <laughs> Um, Phil, I, I find it fascinating those those four um, those four objects or characters yes. and, the, and you know how I see myself, how I am, how I see myself, how I see them, and how they yes. are. Um, and forgiveness is really um, allowing some flexibility, isn't it, in terms of how yes. I see myself and how I see them. It's it's turning those yes. from fixed categories into um, leaving possibilities open. Um, Murray spoke about forgiveness being about um, opening up new new futures for ourselves yes, and those who hurt us um yes now um phil this has been such a, a rich uh conversation i've just got a couple of questions um yes um the first is uh you t you obviously deal with the big stuff primarily and if people are coming to you in in these groups or going on your forgiveness program or in, in counseling they're talking about big stuff um but you know, I joked the other day when I talked to Daryl that somebody had nearly knocked me off my bike and I, you know, had to work through forgiveness. Um, our friend Alofa, who was on the uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, experienced road rage and got called the actual N-word um, by somebody, you know, and, and she, it was like water off a duck's back. The question I'm coming to is, are we too easily offended in day-to-day -day life? Are there, are there too many things that push our buttons? Are our are our buttons too easily accessible to random people? Um, it's all very well to be offended and hurt by somebody who's yes. close to us and, and is abusive towards us or betrays us. Yes. But but those everyday things, yes, are we too easily wound up? Very interesting question. Um, uh, I'm not sure that I can speak, you know, in a generalization to that point, but what I can say, and then I'll probably double back to it, so I walk into a room and your listeners are all there. Some mm. of your listeners smile at me yeah. and I don't return the smile. Right. And, and they think what a rude puny man, and they would be correct. Um, but then <laughs> they've when, got you when, in one. <laughs> yes, exactly. But when they realize I'm visually impaired and I probably didn't even see their smile, yeah. they can let it go. You know, I did offend them, but they can let it go. Right. And in myriads of places, that is forgiveness. Right. And that is the appropriate response. Yeah. And, you know, if if a, a smallish event takes place and I blow it out of proportion, the problem is probably with me. So right. I need to be in relationship and accountability mm. to and be transparent about that. 
But on another side, if you have five siblings reflecting on the same event, you'll probably mm. get five different stories, which right. is to say, you know, that we are all different. And one thing might offend me and not you, but another thing, it's, you know, the other way yep. around. So, yeah. Yep. That's helpful. Thanks, Phil. So in a sense, you're saying that at times we will jump to being offended um, and that more data will come available and we'll realize, oh, we didn't need to be. Um, yes. And that will settle the waters. Yes. Um, do you think that if I find myself jumping to being offended and there is yes. a, a culture of offense in, in our yes. world, isn't there? Um, you know, the, the, the um, quote, I actually find that really offensive seems to be, you know, only ever a few comments on social media away from, from where we are now. Um, do you think that that tends to point to some, am I so ready to be angry and offended because I'm actually at some level already angry and offended and I'm looking for an excuse to vent that and give it air and it's actually not about you not smiling at me when you walk into the room. It's about my relationship with my dad that I've never unpacked in one of your courses or, and you know, like, is, is that what is going on? I think that's one plausible explanation for what's going on. I also think, you know, on in many instances, what they say is incredibly valid and important. And we do need to consider not only their internal life, but their prophetic edge almost, you know, that right. something is wrong. And right. so I might not see the wrong, but someone mm. else could. So that's very valid. But um, it is also true that uh, what I present today largely comes out of my history. Mm. And, you know, so if I attend to my history, uh, I will be different in the here and now. Yeah, yeah. I hear you say... Um, and you might not have meant this, but I, I take from this that I need to be careful not to uh, be like, oh, everyone's just a bit easy to offend these days. They all just need to kind of, you know, develop a bit of a thicker skin because what you're saying is that there might be, there's likely legitimacy and a prophetic element to what people are, are calling attention to. Um, potentially. And that if I, yeah, potentially. And if I, yeah. if I smother that with, you need to harden up, <laughs> yeah. uh, then I, I'm actually part of the problem. That's helpful. Um, yes. I, I forgive you for pointing out my flaws. Um, Thank you. See, look, I'm, I'm making progress. You're doing uh, really well, Malcolm. <laughs> thanks, Phil. Yeah, maybe we, next yeah. time we have this counselling session, we shouldn't invite so many other people to listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, uh, I said a couple of days ago, I spoke to my friend Daryl, and we talked about forgiveness of self. Yes. Why, in your experience, why is forgiving self so much harder than forgiving other people? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question as well. I think um, developmentally, you know, there's we, uh, from an ego point of view or a, a super ego point of view, sort of, we developed a very uh, cute uh, persecutory mindset. You know, there's mm. even more technical language to describe that. And, you know, so we oftentimes, uh, what, who we are and what we present is not appreciated. So we put on a false self. Some of that's not appreciated and we become things to please people, you know? Right. And so, so I think that's one side of it. Um, another side of it is um, the regret is so deep, you know, mm. that if only I had, mm. 
not done this or done this, it could be so different. And um, some people find it incredibly difficult to mm. uh, release and re- forgive themselves. And clinically speaking, um, people that uh, who, who have been my professors and teachers and supervisors as well, there seems to be an accord that forgiving yourself clinically speaking, is one of the most difficult human endeavors. Wow. It is very difficult. Now, a theological balance to that is that receiving forgiveness from God and self-forgiveness might be two sides of the same coin. Um, And in that sometimes to receive forgiveness from God definitely changes our self-forgiveness perception obviously sometimes it doesn't you know but and then there's the theological question well if god's forgiven you and you can't forgive yourself why do Mm. you have a higher standard than god (laughs) you know um but that must be heard in the context of it's incredibly incredibly difficult yeah and even someone that espouses that point of view they could have something in their life that they are punishing themselves Mm. about Clint Eastwood in Six Million Dollar Baby, you know, talked mm. of this person. I think he went to um, confession, you know, uh, communion uh, daily. And yeah. this priest said to him, the only person that does this daily is the person who can't forgive themselves. Mm. Right, mm. right. Wow. It's um, interesting you talk about if, you know, if we have a faith perspective and we have God who has forgiven us and yet we can't forgive ourselves, it's like we're saying we have a higher standard um, than than God does. The other day, one point of view. <laughs> one point of view, yeah, yeah. yeah. One, the other day I was t- talking to Daryl and we were musing out loud about whether or not, um, I was wondering if I had misunderstood God's forgiveness and that rather than something that God does because God has to, it's in God's job description, as Daryl said, but more that God has this empathetic understanding of the great narrative that we're all a part of and sees the hurt out of which we act, the the fear out of which we act and empathetically understands that us in this moment shouldn't be judged by this single act, but that there's more to us. And so rather than forgiveness just being this like sort of like, um, you know, oh yeah, oh yeah, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. There's this deep well of empathy and compassion toward the world where where God forgives because God understands and God forgives um, because we might say, oh, well, I did this, I deserve. And and it seems like the response, this God that I'm wondering about might respond, actually, that's not what you deserve. What you deserve yes. is to have had a, 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 a different possibility open to you that you couldn't reach for in that moment because you were scared or you were hurt or you felt threatened and you lashed out and you got violent because you didn't know how to be vulnerable in that moment. You know, I'm wondering about... Yes for God's forgiveness being much richer than I've possibly imagined it before, rather yes. than the simple decision um, that isn't interested in, in the backstory, but actually is all about the backstory and all about the yes. next thing that happens. How do you respond yes. to that? Um, I think that's beautiful. Um, you know, yes. uh, <laughs> we, we are forgiven, you see. I, I mean, yeah. you know, for God so loved the world that he yeah. forgave. And, yeah. and then... So I can't earn forgiveness through my repentance, through my behavior. You know, I've, I've mm. got to receive. And in the Beatitudes, you know, when blessed are the poor in spirit, etc. Yeah. the word blessed, it's a state, you know. So 
in connection with God, we're blessed. Um, right. Whether I'm poor or not, you know, it's in mm. connection. And mm. so um, forgiveness is is God's idea to mm. bring us back. Mm. And it's it's completely open. Yeah, I just, I'm really warring at the moment, Phil, um, and the therapist side of you can be like, oh, that's a very strong word to use, Malcolm. I'm really warring with the language of deserve and how much we use that in our faith um, yes. to explain things. And, you know, oh, well, we might deserve this kind of punishment, but God forgives. It's like, well, I actually think God's forgiveness, um, Murray talked about God's God's justice being God's forgiveness, that they, they, it wasn't like God could have been just but chose to be merciful, but that God's justice is kindness, God's justice is forgiveness, that um, it, it, it works towards a larger story, a longer um, a longer view of who we are and, and what we can become, and that this moment, that this act of that, that has been a rupture, it doesn't speak to the fullness of of who we are and who we can be and 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 god is more interested in rebuilding than in um in retribution um yeah hey um this has been great is there a a, a novel or a a piece of art or a bit of music or a um a movie that you've seen that evokes embodies something of forgiveness that that for you is is really meaningful there is um uh, a few I thought there might be. <laughs> yes. Um, a name from yesteryear that some of you will know is Steve Apparana. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, so he had a song called It's No Miracle from mm. a 1992 album, No Turning Back. Yeah. It describes the paralytic man lowered through the roof to Jesus mm. from mm. the paralytic's point of view. Mm. Spectacular. So right. that's one point. And, um, and just before, for those of you on the outside of the faith community, in that yeah. story, Jesus does two things, doesn't he? He he says, your sins are forgiven, and yes. all the people around get, get a bit antsy because they say, who can forgive but God? And then yes. Jesus said, well, will it be easier if I said, get up and walk? Therefore, yes. get up and walk, just to show you that I can do both. And so, yes. and people have always wondered about the connection between the forgiveness and the healing that, that these two things happen. Yes. Um, side by side and the man is yes. liberated relationally and in an embodied sense as well yes so uh, from steve's position as he's singing it's almost a poem with this mm. uh, powerful music behind it it's the real issue is inside the man when he's told he's forgiven and it's his response to that it's absolutely magic mm -hmm. um another great scene of forgiveness is in victor hugo's lamers you know lamers oh, i do um, i do and and so when uh, jean valjean you know he steals all of these gold cuts he yep. gets caught and he comes back he's not repentant he's no. caught red-handed and the uh, the priest says you forgot one take it <laughs> And gives that, him the candlestick, act, doesn't he? Yeah, that act yeah. of love and generosity changed uh, Jean Valjean's life, you mm, know. So mm. that that's is an illustration also of what God can do, you know. Mm, but mm. um, so that's an illustration where there wasn't repentance, which I like. And mm. then one other one is um, 
the story uh, of Louis Zamperini in the recent book film called Unbroken. I, I recommend oh, yeah. the so he was an Olympic runner, uh, you know, went down in the Pacific, survived, then got into Japanese concentration camps. Yeah. Uh, he was picked on, had the most horrendous things happen to him. Yeah. And the film ends sort of when he's liberated there. But the book goes on and huh. talks of his torment and torture as he uh, could not get away from the nightmare of what this Japanese uh, leader kept on doing to him. Yep. And then it's how he came to forgiveness and what mm. happened. Um, wow. it's, a, it's a really interesting read. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Mm. Thanks so much, Phil, for those um, those insights. We're making up quite the playlist of our um, of uh, recommendations of films and pieces of music and albums of spoken word and all sorts of things. We really must yes. publish that. Um, Phil, thank you for the richness of your experience and your insight and the depth from which it comes. It can tell that whenever I ask you a question and you've got three anecdotes lining up to tell us that that this is the world that you live in and that I'm a tourist yes. and that you're a you're a um, you own land here <laughs> uh, in this in this postcode. So it's been lovely to uh, think through um, this journey with you and 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 uh, benefit from your insight and your wisdom. Thanks so much. A real pleasure, as I said at the top, uh, a pleasure and privilege to be in this context today. Thank you. I reckon we could have just kept on talking we didn't have to stop to eat or sleep it's amazing to talk to phil who has been inside this struggle for forgiveness at a personal level and a vocational one for much of his life you could tell phil was a ninja class forgiveness guru when i summarized kim's story or tainer's story i noticed how he would pause and before he offered insights from his considerable wisdom he would acknowledge the pain of what had happened and how he didn't pretend to understand all that they'd gone through Given how much he has seen and how much he has learned in this area, it points to a profound level of humility. Phil carries this conviction that each human story is sacred. There might be common themes or patterns, but at no point does he come close to saying, oh, I've heard this one before. I will be holding on to his words that we start with someone else's pain by staring at the carpet together. I appreciated how he put brakes on my eagerness for simplistic answers. I'd been picking up that forgetting in relation to forgiveness was bad, that we need to remember so that we don't repeat. But Phil nuanced that by saying that forgetting can at times be a way to get through, a way to survive when we are too young or too hurt to do anything else. The problem is when that survival tactic overstays its welcome, outlasts its usefulness, and puts us in further danger. At one point, Phil said, that which is not known you can't have a relationship with, so self-understanding is really important as we try to forgive, end quote. The idea of forming an empathetic, compassionate relationship with ourselves was helpful for me. That if we are strangers to ourselves, that we can't offer ourselves forgiveness. We need to learn to know ourselves and love ourselves, even and perhaps especially when we hurt ourselves and other people. Phil spoke about the two ways to build self-esteem, either by being held in loving relationships or by working for sustained achievement. I've got to be honest, that second one sounds like a lot of hard work. And the first speaks of the importance of a web of relationships that hold and nurture us. For some of us, 
God will be part of that web, and for others, God won't. The important thing seems to be that there's a web, and that the nature of it is love-based and not performance-based. I think I was encouraged when Phil spoke about forgiving ourselves from a psychological perspective being one of the most difficult human endeavors. I guess it validates what I'm doing with this podcast and what you're doing by listening to it. This work is hard. It might take a while. We might need help. We're actually nearing the end of this season of A Field Guide to Forgiveness. We're thinking about how we might give space for some questions and insights from you, our listeners. If you have a question or a response for one of our guests or a more general question, please feel free to email it to malcolm at firstchurchotago.org. That's malcolm, spelled M-A-L-C-O-L-M, at firstchurchotago.org. We finish today with these words from Phil. Forgiveness is the boundary between exclusion and embrace. It's not the same as embrace. And these, my favorite words of his, it's not expertise that heals suffering. It's compassion. So let's find ways to show compassion to ourselves and to others and so open up new futures for all of us. Let's talk soon.